Chapter thirty three of Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood by George MacDonald. Chapter thirty three Old Rogers's Thanksgiving. I found the old man seated at his dinner which he left immediately when he heard that miss oldcastle needed his help in a few words i told him as we went the story of what had befallen at the hall to which he listened with the interest of a boy reading a romance asking twenty questions about the particulars which i hurried over then he shook me warmly by the hand saying you have fairly won her walton and i am as glad of it as i could be of anything i can think of she is well worth all you must have suffered this will at length remove the curse from that wretched family you have saved her from perhaps even a worse fate than her sisters i fear she will be ill though i said after all that she has gone through but i did not even suspect how ill she would be as soon as i heard dr duncan's opinion of her which was not very definite a great fear seized upon me that I was destined to lose her after all. This fear, however, terrible as it was, did not torture me like the fear that had preceded it. I could oftener feel able to say, Thy will be done, than I could before. Mr. Duncan was hardly out of the house when old Rogers arrived and was shown into his study. He looked excited. I allowed him to tell out his story, which was his daughter's, of course, without interruption. He ended by saying, Now, sir, you really must do summat. This won't do in a Christian country. We ain't aboard ship here, with a nor'easter a-walk in the quarter-deck. There's no occasion, my dear fellow, to do anything. He was taken aback. Well, I don't understand you, Mr. Walton. You're the last man I'd have expected to argue for faith without works. It's right to trust in God, but if you don't stand to your halyards, your craft will miss stays, and your faith will be blown out of the bolt-ropes in the turn of a marlin's pike. I suspect there was some confusion in the figure, but the old man's meaning was plain enough, nor would I keep him in a moment more of suspense. Miss Oldcastle is in the house, old Rogers, I said. What house, sir? returned the old man, his grey eyes opening wider as he spoke. This house, to be sure. I shall never forget the look the old man cast upwards, or the reality given to it by the ordinarily odd sailor fashion of pulling his forelock, as he returned inward, thanks to the father for all his kindness to his friend. And never in my now wide circle of readers shall I find one, the most educated and responsive, who will listen to my story with a more gracious interest than that old man showed as I recounted to him the adventures of the evening. There were few to whom I could have told them. To old Rogers, I felt that it was right and natural and dignified to tell the story, even of my love's victory. How, then, am I able to tell it to the world as now? I can easily explain the seeming inconsistency. It is not merely that I am speaking, as I have said before, from behind a screen, or as clothed in the coat of darkness of an anonymous writer, but I find that, as I come nearer and nearer to the invisible world, all my brothers and sisters grow dearer and dearer to me. 
I feel towards them more and more as the children of my father in heaven and although some of them are good children and some naughty children some very lovable and some hard to love yet i never feel that they are below me or unfit to listen to the story even of my love if they only care to listen and if they do not care there is no harm done except they read it even should they and then scoff at what seemed and seems to me the precious story i have these defences first that it was not for them that i cast forth my precious pearls for precious to me is the significance of every fact in my history not that it is mine for i have only been as clay in the hands of the potter but that it is god's who made my history as it seemed and was good to him and second that even should they trample them under their feet they cannot well get at me to rend me and more the nearer i come to the region beyond the more i feel that in that land a man needs not shrink from uttering his deepest thoughts inasmuch as he that understands them not will not therefore revile him but you are not there yet you are in the land in which the brother speaketh evil of that which he understandeth not true friend too true but i only do as dr dunn did in writing that poem in his sickness when he thought he was near to the world of which we speak i rehearse now that i may find it easier then since i am coming to that holy room where with the choir of saints for evermore i shall be made thy music as i come in tune the instrument here at the door and what i must do then think here before when rogers had thanked god he rose took my hand and said mr walton you will preach now i thank god for the good we shall all get from the trouble you have gone through i ought to be the better for it i answered you will be the better for it he returned i believe i've always been the better for any trouble as ever i had to go through with i couldn't quite say the same for every bit of good luck i had leastways i consider trouble the best luck a man can have and i wish you a good night sir thank god again but rogers you don't mean it would be good for us to have bad luck always do you you shouldn't be pleased at what's come to me now in that case no sir certainly not how can you say then that bad luck is the best luck i mean the bad luck that comes to us not the bad luck that doesn't come but you're right sir good luck or bad luck's both best when he sends em as he always does in fact sir there is no bad luck but what comes out of the man himself the rest all good but whether it was the consequence of a reaction from the mental strain i had suffered or the depressing effect of miss oldcastle's illness coming so close upon the joy of winning her or that i was more careless and less anxious to do my duty than i ought to have been i greatly fear that old rogers must have been painfully disappointed in the sermons which i did preach for several of the following sundays he never even hinted at such a fact but i felt it much myself a man has often to be humbled through failure especially after success i do not clearly know how my failures worked upon me but i think a man may sometimes get spiritual good without being conscious of the point of its arrival or being able to trace the process by which it was wrought in him i believe that my failures did work some humility in me 
and a certain carelessness of outward success even in spiritual matters so far as the success affected me provided only the will of god was done in the dishonour of my weakness and i think but i am not sure that soon after i approached this condition of mind i began to preach better but still i found for some time that however much the subject of my sermon interested me in my study or in the church or vestry on the saturday evening nay even although my heart was full of fervour during the prayers and lessons no sooner had i begun to speak than the glow died out of the sky of my thoughts a dull clearness of the intellectual faculties took its place and i was painfully aware that what i could speak without being moved myself was not the most likely utterance to move the feelings of those who only listened still a man may occasionally be used by the spirit of god as the inglorious trumpet of a prophecy instead of being inspired with the life of the word and hence speaking out of a full heart in testimony of that which he hath known and seen i hardly remember when or how i came upon the plan but now as often as i find myself in such a condition i turn away from any attempts to produce a sermon and taking up one of the sayings of our lord which he himself has said our spirit and our life i labour simply to make the people see in it what i see in it and when i find that thus my own heart is warmed i am justified in the hope that the hearts of some at least of my hearers are thereby warmed likewise but no doubt the fact that the life of miss oldcastle seemed to tremble in the balance had something to do with those results of which i have already said too much my design had been to go at once to london and make preparation for as early a wedding as she would consent to but the very day after i brought her home life and not marriage was the question dr duncan looked very grave and although he gave me all the encouragement he could all his encouragement did not amount to much there was such a lack of vitality about her the treatment to which she had been for so long a time subjected had depressed her till life was nearly quenched from lack of hope nor did the sudden change seem able to restore the healthy action of what the old physicians called the animal spirits possibly the strong reaction paralyzed their channels and thus prevented her gladness from reaching her physical nature so as to operate on its health her whole complaint appeared in excessive weakness finding she had fainted after every little excitement i left her for four weeks entirely to my sister and dr duncan during which time she never saw me and it was long before i could venture to stay in her room more than a minute or two but as summer approached she began to show signs of reviving life and by the end of may she was able to be wheeled into the garden in a chair during her aunt's illness judy came often to the vicarage but miss oldcastle was unable to see her any more than myself without the painful consequence which i have mentioned so the dear child always came to me in the study and through her endless vivacity infected me with some of her hope for she had no fears whatever about her aunt's recovery i had had some painful apprehensions as to the treatment judy herself might meet with from her grandmother and had been doubtful whether i ought not to have carried her off as well as her aunt but the first time she came which was the next day she set my mind at rest on that subject but does your granny know where you are come i had asked her so well mr walton she replied that there was no occasion to tell her 
why shouldn't i rebel as well as aunt winnie i wonder she added looking archness itself how does she bear it bear what mr walton the loss of your aunt you don't think granny cares about that do you she's vexed enough at the loss of captain everard do you know i think he had too much wine yesterday or he wouldn't have made quite such a fool of himself i fear he hadn't had quite enough to give him courage judy i dare say he was brave enough once but a bad conscience soon destroys a man's courage why do you call it a bad conscience mr walton i should have thought that a bad conscience was one that would let a girl go on anyhow and say nothing about it to make her uncomfortable you are quite right judy that is the worst kind of conscience certainly but tell me how does mrs oldcastle bear it you asked me that already somehow judy's words always seemed more pert upon paper than they did upon her lips her naivety the twinkling light in her eyes and the smile flitting about her mouth always modified greatly the expression of her words granny never says a word about you or auntie either but you said she was vexed how do you know that because ever since the captain went away this morning she won't speak a word to sarah even are you not afraid of her locking you up some day or other not a bit of it granny won't touch me and you shouldn't tempt me to run away from her like auntie i won't granny is a naughty old lady and i don't believe anybody loves her but me not sarah i'm certain therefore i can't leave her and i won't leave her mr walton whatever you may say about her indeed i don't want you to leave her judy and judy did not leave her as long as she lived and the old lady's love to that child was at least one redeeming point in her fierce character no one can tell how much good it may have done her before she died though but a few years passed before her soul was required of her before that time came however a quarrel took place between her and sarah which quarrel i incline to regard as a hopeful sign and to this day judy has never heard how her old granny treated her mother when she learns it now from these pages i think she will be glad that she did not know it before her death the old lady would see neither doctor nor parson nor would she hear of sending for her daughter the only sign of softening that she gave was that once she folded her granddaughter in her arms and wept long and bitterly perhaps the thought of her dying child came back upon her along with the reflection that the only friend she had was the child of that marriage which she had prosecuted to dissolution end of chapter thirty three